What happens to grapes after the winemaking process? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and to our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome back. It's episode 79. Thanks so much to those of you who got in touch to say how much you'd enjoyed the last episode with Colin Church of IOM3, when we talked about a few of the big picture issues relating to materials of all kinds. We love to hear your feedback, and of course we're grateful for those of you who leave a positive review in your podcast app or recommend us to your friends and colleagues. It really helps spread the word on the circular economy. On to today's episode. You may be surprised to learn that, instead of becoming waste for landfill, grape skins and other unused parts of grapes from the winemaking process can then go on to create important ingredients to support healthy living, which are used in supplements, foods and beverages. Alvinesa Natural Ingredients, based in Spain, is a circular economy leader of sustainable plant-based ingredients. New Chief Executive Jordi Ferrer is leading the expansion of Alvinesa's plant-based ingredients into the global food and nutrition markets. Geordie is an accomplished C-suite business leader who brings a a strong commercial and operations background in the food sector, covering business to consumer, as well as value-added food ingredients and agri-tech. Have a listen, and I'll catch up with you afterwards with what I took away from our conversation. Geordie, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Catherine, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and maybe we could start by asking what Albinesa does. So what Albinesa does is take grape pumice from the um, wine producing process, basically what's discarded from the wine producing process, and turn that into valuable ingredients um, for food, for using food, and And I think it's important to understand that this is done in a very sustainable manner. First, the origin of taking a product that otherwise will be discarded, that will become a big environmental problem. You take that, so that's a sustainability story. But then what you do with that product is what's most remarkable, because you actually create high-value food ingredients and natural ingredients. So I think that's the the double thing that we do. We, we take organic matter that otherwise will be discarded and turn it into value. So um, in the wine industry generally then, um, what would happen? What, what kind of waste are we talking about? Is it just skins or, or is it um, batches so, of wine that haven't worked out? What, what kind of inputs? You got you a get? little bit of both. You had a first uh, cycle of production during the time of harvest and right away in the winemaking process, basically you take out the liquid, you take out the substance 
and all that is dry matter or matter that is not obviously yes um, dry matter is actually uh, discarded because you don't use that for the wine making so you'd first take that wine matter that's what they call grape pomace mm -hmm. and then that's the first stream of raw material that we take and then there's a second stream like you said is that once the bodegas or the wine wineries um, start producing the wine etc there are some um, there are some dry matters that are left in the tanks of the wine mm -hmm. that otherwise will be discarded so we on a second round we actually collect those and we actually extract value from those so mm -hmm. really it goes from the beginning of the season through the whole wine making process we don't leave anything to waste mm. yeah that sounds interesting and, so... and that second part that uh, that matter is called lease uh, for lease. those that uh, okay. may know that uh, there's the lease uh, what's left in that bottom of that tank where the wine is made mm -hmm. so the what's left from the pressings then when we've pressed the wine and got the liquid out that's the uh, pomace um and then the sediment at the bottom of the fermenting tanks, um, which in some cases um, you end up with a bit of in, in your wine bottle sometimes, though not very often right. these days. <laughs> um, right. And, it, and um, it, the idea is to avoid drinking that because it, <laughs> it's a good good way of getting headaches. So that that's sediment right. is called the, called the lease. The lease, yes. That's yeah. the sediment that's left. That's, okay. uh, yeah, okay. that's very well put. So, um, so how unusual is this? So you're doing this in, in Spain um, for quite a few um, bodegas or, or wineries um, in your region. And does that happen? Do you, do you know that that happens in other countries or is it something that's still pretty unusual? So I will say this. I want to answer you in two ways. It's very usual, but it's very unusual. And I'm going to explain myself. Um, the industry of extracting from grape hummus has existed for over 100 years. There are different companies that do that. Typically, the structure of those companies will be relatively small um, factories or distilleries, like they call it. And the main goal of that was to, to extract the alcohol from the uh, grape hummus. Typically, those will be close to the um, to the wineries. It will be typically um, in a urban enclave. So it was a very small operations that were mainly geared to extract alcohol. Mm. And al alcohol for what purpose? For industrial purposes? Or well, today, a... the alcohol is used for both industrial. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's used for bioethanol, what mm -hmm. you call industrial uh, alcohol. But also there is obviously alcohol that's used to do brandy, mm. to do port, and other specialty liquors, right? So you got that, and that's the traditional part of this industry. What's unusual is the way we do it at Alvinesa. Mm -hmm. Because what Alvinesa is different from any other distillery around the world is our sheer size. Uh, so just to give you a little bit of an idea, we can uh, process up to 300,000 metric tons of pumice, you know, plant here in the center of Spain. I think the, 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 the closest distillery in the world that you would have may do 100,000. So that's mm. a lot bigger. 
But most important, we do finish the ingredients in-house. In other words, we do most of our ingredients here. So from A to Z, we can produce those. Typically, the other distilleries that exist around the world, not only they would be smaller, but what they would do mainly is to extract the alcohol and take a bunch of intermediate products that would be sold to other manufacturers that would transform it further. Mm. Okay. So what we do different is the volume and also the way that we valorize and from a sustainable standpoint, you don't have to move product around. We just do it in the same place. To your question, what Spain versus other countries, it's obvious that the main wine regions in the world are in Southern Europe. You got some in the Southern hemisphere as well, Argentina, Chile, of course you got uh, California and you got uh, Australia, but the main uh, wine regions are in Europe. And typically what's interesting is in Spain, in the center of Spain, where we are located in Castilla-La Mancha, that's the highest concentration of wineries in the world. So although maybe the wines here do not have the name of other uh, origins like Rioja in Spain or other places like this, from a sheer volume perspective, this is, Palmas is extremely abundant here. Mm. And, and that's a very important thing to be close to raw material. Mm, sure. So that's what I say. It's usual, but it's really unusual the way we do it. Mm. And the closeness, that's important, presumably, not just from the perspective of the logistics cost, but also because the product is deteriorating. Um, so the faster you get it into the system, the, the better. So um, maybe you could give us some examples of the kinds of products that you're producing from the pomace and the lease. So I mentioned before about the alcohol and I would say 50, it's 50% industrial use and 50% for, uh, for human use. Mm -hmm. And then you have an important product, which is natural tartaric acid. Mm -hmm. And natural tartaric acid is typically used in wine mm -hmm. and is used in pharma and other food applications. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important product for the industry. And then you have another product that you extract from here, from the seeds. You actually extract uh, grape seed oil, which is actually growing in acceptance and consumption around the world, especially in markets in Asia and the United States. It's becoming a specialty uh, oil for consumption that's actually becoming very popular. Mm. Is, that, is that for cooking with or salads or as a sort salads, of thing? mainly yeah. salads cooking that's why it's more speciality it's more to be uh, tasted seen rather than be cooked with mm. because okay. obviously there is i mean your limitation in terms of volume is always going to be how much is the crop right because you mm. that's the thing with circular economy you 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 take what uh, what another stream gives you you don't really create a whole industry to create that so that's that's the catch so it's always more speciality. And then the other part that's very interesting, we do natural colorings, mm -hmm. typically of, uh, it's done with red grape. And, um, you know, you, you basically do uh, colorings with uh, brown to reds colors uh, that's used widely in the coloring industry as a natural color. So, and finally, and very important, I'm sorry, Catherine, um, go ahead. I was just going to ask, would that just be for food or could it be for fibers, fabrics and things like that? It would be mainly for food, mm, not for okay. fabrics. And, okay. Because that would be using, uh, fabrics would probably use non-natural. Yeah, but there is this move of... towards more 
um, natural uh, dyes, and so the, you know, there's there's quite a, a trend starting there. So I was I was interested to know whether, um, but I'm guessing it's a it's quite a high cost. Um, That's the problem. Yeah. It could be high cost and not effective, and, and there mm. is some limitations how much you have. But very popular, especially in for the use of foods and and beverages. Mm. And, and then finally, today, and I'm going to explain to you what I mean by today. You have um, you have antioxidants. I mean, it's widely known that wine has very good antioxidant, or grape, and then wine obviously has very good antioxidant uh, antioxidant uh, properties. So what we do is we take out the polyphenols mm -hmm. from the pumice, and we sell those into the food nutraceutical animal feed and cosmetic industries and uh, you know that that is a high value product that you actually take uh, from pumice mm. which is one of the most with most wellness qualities that you can have and the consumption of polyphenols antioxidants has been growing and it's becoming more and more mainstream mm. so that's an important one obviously you have a whole stream of new innovation that could come in the future because I don't think that we have yet extracted all the value you can from from pumice, um, grape pumice. I think there is much more that uh, nature can give you, and that's what we we're looking at. Mm. Yeah, I'm sh I'm sure you're right there that um, we're we're gradually getting better, aren't we, at, at understanding the different um, elements um, in all sorts of, um, of biological. Um, uh, ingredients and and what we used to consider as waste, um, and I'm, I was interested to learn that uh, Alvinase is replacing some synthetic ingredients um, with these natural byproducts. So, what kind of things would that include? I mean, is tartaric acid is that is that helping to replace um, a cheaper yeah, synthetic material? Yes, there is yeah. a there is a trend. Obviously, it's always more natural ingredients and natural tartaric acid. Mm -hmm. uh, is potentially replacing what the tartaric acid that's considered synthetic. Mm. Uh, typically, synthetic tartaric acid will be mostly manufactured in China. So the more efficient and the more we produce, the more we can replace that. And obviously, as you know, Catherine, with the food trends today and consumption trends, I mean, natural tartaric acid is becoming a very, uh, a very sought uh, uh, ingredient. By mm. some of the large food and, and beverage ingredients. Mm. Yeah. And, oh, sorry, for the beverage manufacturers. Yeah, I think more and more companies are starting to um, want to get get more transparent with not just the ingredients and and how those ingredients are produced, but where they're coming from, and and you know being able to um, be uh, definite about you know it's coming from this place and this supplier, and and to really understand. Um, who's, traceability who's, yeah exactly it's a big element of what we do i absolutely agree with you uh, in terms of replacement we talk about colorings i think natural coloring is also a lot more on trend i will also tell you that there is another type of replacement that is not only natural to synthetic but is replacing um on the aspect of uh, circular economy there are some colorings that have to be specifically dedicated agriculture and uh, resources to be grown. For instance, uh, you have elements like black carrot that are also popular. They are natural, 
but they also take resources because mm. you have to specifically grow a black carrot to extract the coloring. Yeah. So I think the replacement comes two ways. One is obviously natural versus synthetic and also the way you do it. I mean, yeah. you know, sustainable way of doing it is very important as well. And I think that's the trend will be, will, will not stop here. Yeah, I think you're right that definitely prioritizing ways of using something that isn't easy to digest as a, as a human food um, and, you know, moving away from growing things, using land to grow things that are for fibers, coloring, animal feed and so on. Because, um, you know, we just we just don't have the spare land, do we? <laughs> um, and particularly if if um, if we want to offset by growing trees as well, then that puts even more pressure on land. So we have to use every every bit of the of the um, well, the plant. Catherine, or, you know, yeah. that last time I checked, you know, the world population continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you know, the last I checked, the resources, uh, the world resources are not growing at the same pace. So mm -hmm. you got to be a lot more smarter in the way you actually deal with your supply chains and, and how you do things. And that's why I think the big trend towards circular economies because of that is just not a fad. It's actually a need that the market will have more and more. Mm, you're absolutely right. And um, some of the statistics from the, um, the UN over the last couple of years have showed that resource use, and I'm talking all resources, not just um, food and, and um, biological resources, but resource use has been growing faster than population and faster than the rate of growth of GDP, gross domestic product, because everything's getting cheaper and we all want more things. So our consumption's going up. And over the so the, over the last fifty years, resource use has doubled in just fifty years. After all that, those centuries, those millennia of human um, human life on Earth, in fifty the last fifty years, it's doubled, and it's predicted to double again by twenty sixty if we carry on at the same rate. So we've got to get a lot smarter at um, using what we consider as waste um, and turning it into valuable things, just as Alvin Acer is doing. And so. Um, on, on that same theme, Alvin Ace has developed circular production process as well, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, another another impressive part of the business. So could you tell us a bit more about that, please, Jordi? Well, I would say different things. Um, you know, we we are accountable internally for our carbon footprint, which we mm -hmm. measure. And, uh, you know, I, I will give you some of the points for you to consider Um you know, we we um, we operate with a high percentage of our energy, which is actually uh, generated uh, on site. We have a um, we have a uh, um, uh, energy uh, solar power plant in on site, mm -hmm. and we can generate a third of our current electricity needs is generated by that uh, by that plant. On top of that, we use uh, our uh, biomass generated by the process to actually use also the energy, the steam to 100% of the steam that's used is used through our biomass. Uh, so basically, we're not only looking at producing the output, but also using wisely everything that's generated in the process to reinvest, if you want to put it in, in that way, or re re um, relocate within the process to generate energy. Uh, we, we believe that today about 50% of our electricity 
is um, is regenerated renewably, and we continue to 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 make progress to increase that percentage, mm. uh, which is extremely important, as as you can imagine. So, again, it, it's it's to recap a little bit. We are on yes, we are on the circular economy. We do good good for you ingredients, but on top of that, we do it in a very sustainable. Of way and and that's very important that guides us across mm. and in and in terms of the processes themselves um as i understand it you're only using water for to yes. e- to help extract yes. um the um the byproducts rather than using any chemical solvents to get at the the nutrients that you want to to produce that is absolutely correct and um we we are only using water to do the extraction process. So that means that we don't use any any solvents which other industries may use. That's very important. And there, so there's no trace of any solvents or anything else. That's very important. The other thing also I would like to say and add is one thing that's very specific about the raw material we have access to is very little to no pesticides. And the reason is because uh, Castilla-La Mancha in the center of Spain tends to be a very dry area. And unlike other areas like, for instance, France, or which of course is it's very well recognized in terms of their wines and everything, but they tend to be a lot more pesticide used than we have here. So that's extremely important. Um, a consequence of that is that uh, part of our output, it's certified organic. So also, not only can go and cl- be claimed as a natural ingredient, but also can be claimed as an organic ingredient. Mm. So I think that we have advantages from a raw material and our process, as you said very well, is actually done in a very uh, reasonable way in terms of what you use, no solvents, and you actually use water mm. to do the extraction. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And I'm curious, Jordi, to understand a bit more about what led you to Alvin Acer, because your background includes... Um, quite a few senior positions in the food and pharmaceutical sectors, uh, such as Tate and Lyle, uh, Warner Lambert. So, what what attracted you to join a circular business like Alvinesa? Yes. So, uh, my experience has always been in the food industry. I started more in consumer products, and then I went into food ingredients, and then I also had a stand in what they call post harvest, which I'm going to come back to. But it's always in food. So what attracted me in Alvinesa is a few things. One is, uh, you know, circular economy, which I thought was definitely the way to do that. Um, And also the type of ingredients that we actually produce. And I saw the potential because I honestly think, Catherine, that what this company has been doing for a while has not really been recognized enough, has not been visible enough. And I thought by giving it the visibility and continue to create innovation out of the streams that we do here, I think it would be a very good opportunity in terms of uh, moving forward, not only in growth per se, but also in terms of the relevance that this company could really have in the food industry in the future. So I thought this is a great opportunity to, to grow it because that's what I like is to grow businesses. Um, one thing, though, I would say that through my career, especially when I move from consumer goods to food ingredients, I always look for businesses that had a good positive uh, impact and um, 
a very what I call noble mission. Uh, if you look at when it was a Tate and Lyle or it was a Pure Circle, these are companies that actually uh, manufacture zero calorie sweetness. And especially in the case of Pure Circle, that was stevia, which was natural. And that was helping with making diets healthier by eliminating um, sugar with all the health issues that you actually have by using too much sugar. My last job before I joined Alvinesa was in a company called Agrofresh. And Agrofresh was not in food ingredients per se. We were in post-harvest and we were managing the ripening process um, and the whole decay process of fruit after being harvested. So to avoid food waste. So the big themes of, uh, you know, healthier diets, sugar reduction, uh, preventing food waste, and this particular case using better the resources has all been something that's attracted me. I've been fortunate enough to be able to choose uh, where I wanted to work. And for me, is the job, is the position, obviously it's all of that, but it's what kind of company you're working for. Are you really proud every time in the morning where you wake up and I could be talking to you right now about the great things we do. And I think that makes a difference. That's what makes me passionate about what I do. And look, I bring a lot of experience uh, on a global level. I've been 21 years living in the US. I always manage global businesses. And it's my pleasure to make this business grow and make it more global and more relevant. That's that's kind of what I look for. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of, of um, opportunities both to develop what you're already doing with the grapes and to branch out into other countries and maybe even into different um, source ingredients and, and use the same kind of biorefining um, circular approach for those because I think, you know, every sector we look at, you can just see massive amounts of potentially valuable um, parts of a, of a biological ingredient going, going to waste. Um, Catherine, it's, it's true. And I'll give you a couple of examples. You can talk about olive oil the process of making olive oil and everything that actually creates the, the, the oil, the um, olive pomace, if you want to call it, mm. which is something we're probably looking at, or tomato, uh, tomato used to, to do sauce. Mm. I mean, and, and there is so much development in this area. You have things like um, a lot of the canned foods, uh, with everything that's left to waste vegetables and all of this, there's a whole industry that's arising. And, um, we don't discard playing a role also in those other sources. Mm. I'm smiling because in the first edition of the Circular Economy Handbook that I wrote um, back in 2016, I was doing the research. And so when I came onto the chapter for food, um, I was looking for good examples. And it was relatively easy to find examples for things like coffee and, and so on, because those sort of chains of, of um, you know, byproducts and so on were starting to emerge. And uh, I came across something in the in the newspapers or on, online to say that Ford cars and Heinz are teamed up and they were going to be uh, collaborating on a project to turn waste tomato skins from the ketchup and soup into uh, a material that could be used inside cars. Um, and I even wrote in, in the book, you know, I've checked the date of this press release and it's and it wasn't April the 1st. Um, and so I'll put it in. And when I came to do the second edition a few years later, I went straight to that and, and looked to see how it had evolved. 
and there was no mention of it ever again <laughs> after that right. one piece of PR. So um, yeah, so so my my skeptical head in 2016, sort of writing, you know, this wasn't <laughs> published on April the first, April Fool's Day, um, you know, turned out to be um, correctly skeptical, I I think. But that's right. not but that's not to say it's not possible to make um, fabric it's or a bioplastic. Uh, it's not it's possible, Catherine, yeah. but I think that there are other usages that mm. are a lot more obvious. Exactly. Um, they need to more, address before. Yeah. And you know, a lot of those products have a, a lot of very good nutrients mm, exactly. that could be used to make our diets better. So Exactly, yeah. So turning them into um car upholstery isn't isn't probably the best the best way to treat them. And so how do you see the future for Alvinesa, Jordi? Um, you know, is the market growing? Are you are you in demand for um, more volume, more types of byproducts? I absolutely. I think the the limitation you may have is how much access to raw material you have. Uh, the more raw material you access, the more you can process, and the more you can actually sell. So I don't think there is a demand issue. Problem sometimes is how much raw material you have access. So. Mm. For us at Alvinesa, um, both from an organic as well as inorganic standpoint, we're going to look at increasing our sourcing of, 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 uh, of uh, grape pomace. And uh, we recently announced a acquisition about less than two months ago. We bought a company in the Spanish wining region of Penedes in the northeast in the Catalonia area. And that's a very interesting, that's where Cava is uh, is actually uh, uh, manufactured or the Penedes, white wines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that gives us access to a diversified uh, source of uh, raw materials that has a lot of very good advantages because in Penedes, for instance, a lot of the production is organic or is switching to organic. And also there's high antioxidant contained in that raw material. So. We, we've done that announcement. I think that um, you probably will see us going into maybe trying to do more acquisitions to be able to uh, access more raw material and create more value. Mm. And then uh, the future we see as well is uh, potentially in diversifying into other extracts as long as, as long as it's based on circular economy and on ingredients that... Uh, have value for uh, for our diets. I think that's going to be our, our motor. Uh, we have strong support from our shareholders and that's where we see it. We see this as the, as the future of this company and uh, this company is going to have a very relevant uh, a relevant role, I think, in, in the food industry more and more. And, mm. and that's what, as I told you before, that's what attracted me to join. Mm. I think you're right. And I think people are starting to realize and, and research is helping with this that choosing organic ingredients isn't just about eliminating the pesticides it's a completely different way of growing isn't it all the benefits of doing things in a regenerative way and using um, you know animal manures and and um, uh, you know insects and biodiversity to fortify and replenish the soil means that we get a much wider range of um, constituent parts in the in the whatever we're growing there um i was reading something this is this is a completely different subject but about meat um and how the trace elements have um you know dropped massively 
um, in the same quantity of meat over the years because animals aren't getting such a complete food. It's, you know, it's a monocrop and it's grown with artificial pesticides and so on and the soil's not replenished properly it's fossil fuel fertilizers so it's just kind of the the basics to kind of get get the feed growing um and we shouldn't be surprised that what comes out of that is in effect a malnourished product compared to an an organic or biodynamic product which has a much richer um, range of micronutrients and and trace elements and so on and i think people are really starting to understand more of that um, and, uh, absolutely, you know, Catherine. When you start tinkering yeah. with nature, uh, then you cannot expect the same uh, the same output. Mm. I mean, it's just the way it is. And, yeah. You know, you may have some advantages from an industrial standpoint, but then you lose somewhere else. And mm. it's keeping that balance that uh, you know that, that's going to be the way to look at things. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, Jordi, if you were talking to somebody thinking about making their business more circular or starting something circular from the lessons that you've learned over the last few years, what would your top tip be for them? What advice would you give them? I think the advice is always to stay true to your original mission and do not uh, do not compromise on anything that has to do in the process and how you do that's very important uh, in terms of you know being sustainable and be and defend everything that you're doing through that's very important uh, at the long run that's what's going to give you the credibility and and i think that's that's to me very very important the second thing is always that um, although the supply chain I, I talk a lot about supply chain and we talk about the ingredients you can do never never uh, lose um, lose sight of your final um, your final user which is the consumer and so even so you have to do ingredients or you have to reprocess product that it's done in a very sustainable way never, never forget that you got to make it attractive and so it could be health benefits it could be taste it could be a product that has a certain trend but never really lose sight of that Mm. Uh, anything we do in this world, you have to have the consumer. Even if you're not a consumer goods company, you have to have that in mind. Um, you know, and and I think these these are the main guiding uh, things that I would say. Just do not compromise on how your idea is to do things. Do not take shortcuts. Be patient. Make sure that everything you do is highly sustainable. And also never lose sight at the end of the day of the market you're going after. To make that product even more attractive mm. that's that's i personally you know of course we could talk a lot of more things but those two things are guiding principles mm, thank you i think that's that's excellent advice and of course what the consumer needs and wants is evolving all the time isn't it as people find out more and as younger generations um sort of emerge into the and have buying power and their views are different. I've just been doing some research on the, um, you know, the views of millennials and Gen Z compared to older generations, um, and it's, you know, it's, it with every new generation, there's more interest in um, purpose before profit. There's more interest in um, health and wellness and and um, uh, you know social inclusion and so on. So that's a, that's a really hopeful sign, I think. And Jordi, if you could, if I could give you a magic wand so that you could change one thing in the world um, to perhaps make it, you know, better in some way, what would that be? Well, I like, um, I'm going to explain what I'm going to say, but I like 
some of the world resources to be more evenly distributed. And I'm not trying to message here, it's not a political message, I'm not going there. I'm talking about access to water mm. and uh, access to to safe food. At least I like access to health, to reasonable health. I like some of the basics to be more equally distributed in the world. I think there is still a lot of parts in the world that are missing the basics. Mm. And, and so that's very important. And I'm not only referring, Catherine, here about poor countries and, and rich countries, if you want. I mean, there is a lot of parts in the West where, for instance, people do not have, believe it or not, access to a good nutrition. Mm. And Absolutely. we've seen a lot of that experience that even in a country like the U.S. Mm. Why they don't have it? Well, maybe sometimes some of the food that they, it could be pricey. Some of the times it's simply culture and education. Mm. So when I talk about having everything evenly distributed is that, you know, I wish people had a little bit more of that access to, to something that's very basic for us. And, you know, that we, we, that's gone in some cases that's reversed back. Right. And mm. the way we used to do things and how things are done today. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I like that. Um, and Jordi, um, is there somebody you'd recommend as a future guest for the podcast? Well, you know, I've known a lot of people in the food industry, and I, I think there is somebody that uh, I know well. His name is uh, Giovanni Battistini. He's originally from Italy. And Giovanni is a very progressive, very smart guy. And uh, he's an innovation guru. He has worked both in ingredients. He was at Firminish for a while, and then he was at Ferrero as well, so he knows consumer, he knows food ingredients, he's extremely progressive, know all the trends and technologies in the world. And I think he can be somebody that can give, just not about a particular industry, but talking about, you know, how to, you know, make most of our resources in general could be an interesting chap to, to have. Plus, he has a very wide perspective because he's from Italy, but he's lived for many years in the U.S., and he's really a citizen of the world. So I think it would be somebody interesting to, to have a chat with. Yeah, thank you. He sounds, he sounds very interesting. And how can people find out more about you and about the work of Albinesa? Well, I think that the first to start, I would say that uh, people can go to our website, www.albinesa.com. And to start an idea, and then there is, first, they will understand better what we do, our origins, our raw material, and the process we make, and the products we make, and also there is ways there to communicate with us if they if they have questions, or they want to really address any comments, and uh, we'll be very open to do that. And uh, I would encourage also people to follow us because I think there'll be more and more news about some of the activities that we're currently doing. Thank you. So yeah, I'll put put that link in the show notes. And yeah, it would be um, interesting to catch up in a year or so and see what other ingredients you've you've created from uh, what used to be waste or what other markets you've moved into to use the same kind of uh, circular economy principles of taking all those valuable nutrients out um, so that we're not we're not losing them. So, Jordi, thank you very much. That was fascinating. Thank you very much for having me again, Catherine. Thank you. It was fascinating to hear that the market for these kinds of natural, high-value byproducts is growing. And it was interesting to hear that the organic grapes include many more micronutrients than industrially farmed crops. 
What Albanacer is doing should be at the heart of any business involved in processing biological materials, food, fibres, healthcare products and so on. It's so important to see value in every element of the raw materials and to be constantly evolving to understand how to extract or create different byproducts and to develop these for a wide range of end users. Alvenazer's business model could also be seen as a form of industrial symbiosis, receiving unwanted materials from one industry to create new, useful products for other industries. As part of my role on the advisory board of UK MSN+, that's the UK Manufacturing Symbiosis Network+, I've written a case study on Alvinacer. I'll include a link in the show notes. UK MSN Plus is an EPSRC funded Network Plus created to stimulate the growth of manufacturing research and communities concerned with developing manufacturing synergies for the circular economy. So that's it for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Geordie Ferrer, CEO of Alvinace and Natural Ingredients. And thank you for listening. You can find out more and follow Geordie Ferrer and Albinesa on social media. Special thanks to Harvey Chimoff for making this episode possible. And as usual, you can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. If you want to find episodes on a particular circular economy strategy or for a market sector or specific countries, check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at www.circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. Don't forget that you can help make the circular economy happen too with the choices you make at work and in your everyday life. Buying pre-used, keeping what you have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. And you can help spread the word, talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook. How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. The book takes you through the concepts and practicalities with lots of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at www.rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening to the end and if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and we'll see you next time. <music>